All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 395, and today we are talking about books being released on January 3rd, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, Happy New Year! Oh yeah, Happy New Year! Right? It's just it's just been like one long year for like the last several years, I feel like, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like, what? The only, the only way I mark it is you know, by changing over my my reading spreadsheets, which is like, my favorite <laughs> thing to do because I'm a super nerd. It's fun, though. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, I forgot to warn you before we started recording this that uh, my husband brought me a large chai tea um, before we started recording. I drank the whole thing, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be... the. We're recording this in December, and yes. it's the last day of work before I have basically a week off, and it's. I think it's just going to probably be a weird episode. <laughs> it's a weird energy. <laughs> well, I mean, so if you're familiar with what the weather has been doing when you're listening to this, uh, we're recording this on December 23rd, and in Maine here, we have had hurricane wind warnings and flood warnings since about midnight, and it it's unbelievable. Um, I was just telling Danica that there was uh, someone else's trash can on our porch when I looked out the window earlier, which is really hard to do because we're fenced in, so um, the wind is, is wild, and the rain is pouring, and, and so... Like, my fingers are crossed that the power stays on, like, while we're recording this, because it did flicker a bunch <laughs> earlier. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't even aware of it for the longest time. And then people were like, are you ready for the big storm? And I was like, looking at the, you know, briefly, like, at the images, because, you know, what are words? I just looked at the pictures, and it was like, rain. And I was like, oh, pfft. And then I was, like, looking further, and I was like, oh, <laughs> that storm. I thought they meant, like, snow, because it's December, and right. we've only had snow once, and it was, like, an inch. So, not that I'm yeah. really complaining, because, you know, snow, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of, snow. it it didn't snow that much here by normal standards, but we don't get a lot of snow here, so everything yeah. shuts down in so for us, this is a lot of snow, um, and I am basically snowed in, and uh, I was telling Liberty that my roommate is uh, host-sitting for my sister right now, which means I am home alone, and I can't go anywhere, and it's been a few days, and I'm starting to get squirrely. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could film your own version of Home Alone for Christmas. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I don't... It would be just pulling pranks on my dogs. I don't know if they deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, my husband brought me a very large try because, I mean, I did ask him to, but it was a surprise because I didn't get any sleep last night because of the wind. The cats were like, zoom, 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 <laughs> all over the house. Like, I, like, I can't shut them out of the rooms because then they just scream at the top of their lungs and break things and I can't hear them breaking things or eating things, so... It's, you know, it happens. It's too bad they don't have, like, kitty Benadryl that you can, like, give them, you know, <laughs> just be, like, sleepy, but it's okay, you know. I'm going to take a huge nap, I think. Maybe not now that I've had the chai, but um, once we're done recording, definitely taking a nap. Yeah. Also, um, speaking of Home Alone, I just want to say that I, I feel much better, like, listening to people talk about Home Alone around Christmas time because 
it took me a very long time, like, well into my 20s to realize um, when you're watching Home Alone and he's in the bathroom and he's, like, rubbing stuff on his face and he slaps his cheeks, you know, and does his famous, like, ah, face. Do you know what I'm talking about? That mm-hmm. part of the movie? Yeah. I thought that he was just screaming because he was, like, a kid and he was home alone and, you know. And then as an adult, I'm like, oh, it's the, the shaving, the aftershave. Is, is stinging his face. Yeah. But I found out that a lot of people didn't realize that until they were older, so I feel oh. much better. I'm, I'm now using the show like my therapy. I'm working this out. Um, before I work out some more therapy, we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by Katie Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant rivals to lovers debut romance. Gene Eskew is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is, until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Inez Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. All right, are you ready to talk about our first picks of the new year? I am going to kick it off with what is, like, probably the most buzzed about book of 2023 coming out right now, first Tuesday of the year. This one was part of a bidding war. It is Age of Vice by Deepti Kapoor. This is Kapoor's second novel, and it got tons of buzz, and it was like an international bidding war. It went to Riverhead. Um, And not only is it big with buzz, but it's big with pages. This chunky novel is over 500 pages long. If you're looking for something you can really sink your brain into, it's a really great read. It's set in contemporary India in New Delhi. It's about privilege and power and secrets and excess, the Wadia family 
uh, pretty much runs New Delhi. Like, nothing happens in that town without their say-so. Um, it's led by Bunty, the patriarch. Um, they're basically mobsters. It's a, it's a family of mobsters. Um, and there are three characters that we hear from in this novel uh, who are caught up in this world. There's a servant, AJ, who was raised in poverty, and now he's close to riches and power and privilege, but he's also a servant, and he's asked to do a lot for the family, like a lot for the family, um, and not all of it is legal. There's Nitta, who is a journalist, who is too close to the family to be sure that she is making impartial journalistic decisions anymore. These two characters and their lives and their futures are going to be basically decided by Sonny, who is Bunty's son and heir to the family business, for better or for worse. This is an engrossing crime novel. It's filled with glitz and glamour, but also lots of blood and death. There's lots of violence and lots of sadness. It's a crime novel, um, but it, it's just epic. It is an epic, and it's epic. You know, there, there's some, you know, really hard things. Like, AJ was sold by his mother as a child, um, sold into servitude. Um, there's a terrible car accident, which we get a brief glimpse of at the beginning of the novel. And then, you know, we find out more about later. That accident changes the course of the lives of the three characters involved. There's murders and drugs and rape and assault. It's very, it's very violent. It's a, it's a contemporary mobster story. Um, if you like to read about bad people and, and morally gray people doing bad things and the, the nice people who get caught up in everything, um, you know, there's a, there's an uncle in the story who is like the big bad of the story. Like he's a really heinous villain. Um, but it doesn't feel like the usual mobster stories, maybe because most of the ones I've read and watched are all, you know, about. Uh, you know, Italy or set in America in New York or there's the Sopranos. Um, you know, maybe because this one is in a different setting, it, it felt different to me and fresh. It's also a love story. Like, can Netta's love save Sonny from his family and his fate? It's an epic of loyalty, family, and crime. It's written exquisitely. It moves at a very fast clip. It didn't feel like it was over 500 pages long when I read it. Um, like I said, we're recording this on December 23rd. I expect by the time this show comes out on January 3rd that they will have announced that this is a book group pick, you know, Jenna or GMA or Reese or someone. I do want to give content warnings for violence, murder, loss of a loved one, child harm, sexual assault, chemical use, and abuse. It is Age of Vice by Deepti Kapoor. Okay, my first one I want to talk about, I was so excited to read, and that's Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute by Talia Hibbert. This is Talia Hibbert's debut YA romance, and I love the Brown Sisters series. In fact, it really changed my perspective on romance. It showed me how much I could love it, but even though Talia Hibbert has written plenty of other books, I haven't read any of them. I think I've been nervous that they wouldn't live up to the magic of the reading experience of the Brown Sisters books. But when I saw that she was coming out with a wire romance that was out January 3rd, I knew I had to read it for this episode. The problem was there weren't any review copies at the time. So I emailed the publisher, request one. They never emailed me back. I lost all hope. And then 
days before recording, they finally made review copies available. And I am so glad I immediately rushed out and I read it in like two sittings because I had just, I really loved this. It definitely lived up to that hype. Spoiler, it lived up to the hype. So this follows Brad and Celine, who were best friends years ago, and they are now bitter academic rivals. They have a scholarship opportunity open up at a wilderness camp that is run by Celine's environmental lawyer, Hero, and they both jump at the chance. But in order to have a chance of winning that scholarship, they're going to have to figure out how to work together. They have to show that they can work as a team. This was such a fun mix of friends to lovers, rivals to lovers, and even some elements of second chance romance. They used to be really close, but then Brad started making new friends and generally not being a weirdo, which Celine took as a betrayal. Now she runs a semi-popular TikTok account about conspiracy theories, and he plays football, and they are in completely different circles. Of course, Celine's reaction to Brad wanting to make other friends might have something to do with her dad's abandonment of their family. They haven't spoken in years. But Celine has a plan to get back at her dad. She's going to be a corporate lawyer, just like he is, but she will be a better lawyer, and then he'll have to see her face everywhere and will always feel that guilt, and that will be the perfect punishment. So all she has to do is get perfect grades, round out her extracurriculars, Hopefully get the scholarship. No problem. This is going to be an excellent plan and is definitely the right way to structure your life. So going into this wilderness camp, neither Brad or Celine is excited about the actual wilderness element of it. Brad has OCD and there are a lot of things in the wilderness that trigger his fear of contamination. And Celine is just generally not a sports person or outdoorsy kind of person, but they're both willing to brave it for the opportunity. And might I say that this is, while believable, a ridiculous way to test someone's academic or professional qualities. The idea is how they perform in this wilderness camp is going to show who they will be as like a lawyer, which doesn't make any sense, but people definitely use that logic all the time. It reminds me of my high school gym teacher who told us to learn from the high jump winners because they were going to go far in life. And maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but I don't think that is the (laughs) measure. But anyway, back to Brad. In the author's notes, Talia Hibbert explains how she was recently diagnosed with OCD and how it runs in her family. And so she brought her personal experience to this. And I really appreciated how we see Brad dealing with it. He was diagnosed before the book started, and he has found the right combination of therapy, drugs, and techniques to manage it really well most of the time. And we actually get to see him talking himself through his strategies for countering obsessive thoughts, which I really appreciated. I don't feel like I've read a lot of books where this is something that they have already dealt with and actually have really solid coping strategies for. And I thought it was really cool to see that represented. And then on the other hand, Celine has not learned healthy methods of dealing with her fear of abandonment, and it is obviously affecting a lot of her life. 
Her dad's company is one of the sponsors of the wilderness camp, and that means he'll probably be at the party at the end, which will be the first time that she's seen him in years. And she doesn't really see how she's letting him control so much of her life just to spite him. But this is a romance, and I haven't even talked about that part yet. I really like Celine and Brad together. I really liked that chemistry. They have the staple of a rival celebrity's romance, which is good banter. And even after they get past that animosity, there's still a good reason for them to not already be getting together, which is something that I need from a romance novel. Celine's fear of abandonment is a really good reason that she is afraid of them getting together. And also, they're only months away from graduation, where they'll be going to different schools. Still, despite her logic, she can't help being drawn to him. And they end up in a friends who kiss situation that they both want more from but can't articulate. I really felt for Celine. She wants so badly to protect herself from heartbreak, but it's already too late. It's impossible not to open yourself up to being hurt by people unless you completely isolate yourself. Brad and Celine had a great dynamic. This definitely lived up to the standard set by the Brown Sisters series. Also, Brad is bisexual, which I really like. More bisexual men in books, please. Honestly, my only complaint in this whole book was a brief conversation about Kanye, and I imagine that that was written in before some recent remarks. So if you like Friends to Lovers or Rivals to Lovers YA romances, definitely pick this one up. And that is Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute by Talia Hibbert. All right. To take this in a completely different direction now, my next choice is The Black House. That's all one word, Black House, by Carol Johnstone. This is an atmospheric thriller set on an isolated Scottish island called Kilmary. Maggie Anderson is the main character. She is an unhappy young woman in her 20s. Her mother died just a few months earlier from when the book starts. Uh, She was recently released from a mental health facility after an incident. And she returns to this island because she's been there once before. And it looms so large in her past. Maggie was raised by her mother. Her mother claimed to be psychic. She could, uh, you know, hear spirits talking to her and thought she could predict things. And she also claimed that Maggie was psychic, too. And when Maggie was five years old, her mother called the newspaper saying that Maggie had told her that she knew that a man was murdered on the island of Kilmary. This garnered some attention. You know, young child saying that that she intuited this murder and eventually, a documentary filmmaker paid for Maggie and her mother to go to Kilmary. Now, Kilmary is a very small, isolated island. It's populated mostly by fishermen and farmers. They don't like outsiders, and they certainly didn't like the attention that this trip brought to them. You know, people poking around, asking questions. They're basically openly hostile to them when Maggie visited when she was a child. And to make matters worse, there was no record of a murder. There was no even records of the man that she claimed had been murdered. Not, not like, you know, birth records. Nobody had lived there. So this was a really hard time for Maggie. 
she she felt really lost and confused and ridiculed and she wanted to go home and her mother you know brought her back and and they didn't speak of this again like she didn't talk about the murder again um and basically just hid from the world now still because her mother claimed that she and maggie were special and tells her some stuff while she's dying, her mother's death brings this idea of that unsolved murder back to the surface. And Maggie can't shake this feeling that, like, maybe there really was something there. So she decides to return to kill Mary. Her name is now Maggie Anderson because her mother remarried when she was 10. Um, and she books an Airbnb, which is a, a black house, which I had to look up. A black house is a traditional house in some parts of Scotland having dry stone walls and a turf roof. Thank you, uh, Google, for telling me that. Um, but because, you know, Maggie has changed her name, but as soon as she gets there, because Maggie has a very distinct facial feature, it's only a few hours before she is recognized by the villagers, and many of the villagers are angry all over again. And she's like, oh, did I make a terrible mistake coming here? Um, but she does make friends with her landlord, and she finds herself attracted to the handsome farmer next door. And in between hanging out with them and thinking about her time when she was there 20 years ago. Bad things happen. She's sure someone is watching her. She gets the feeling that she's being followed in the dark when she's walking home. Someone is leaving threats at her doorstep. Someone is getting into her house. And like, it's pitch black there. There are no streetlights. Uh, there's no phone service. The locks on the black house don't work. But, you know, her landlord's like, don't worry, because no one ever locks their doors here. Which is, you know, when you're worried about someone getting in the house. Um, and she also then receives information from a villager that maybe she wasn't so wrong after all when she was a kid. And if she was right, that means that someone or someones on the island killed a man and got away with it. As she unearths more about her past and her mother, you know, she begins to question... Was she really psychic or was her attention-loving mother feeding her information and using her to try and get famous? And if so, where did she get her information? And is she going to get off the island alive? Like I said, it's very atmospheric. Uh, there are so many different ways to describe the sea in this book. John Stone finds all of them. There, I, I couldn't believe how many different ways she describes the roiling sea and the crashing waves and all this it was great because the island and the sea are, are really big characters in the story. They play a huge part in the story. There's also an archaeological dig going on on the island where they are unearthing bog people from uh, the Iron Age, I think. Yeah, not the, the, the Iron Age. Um, and if you don't know about bog people, very often they were human sacrifices. They were they, to like, you know, help with the weather or whatever it was that the village needed. Like they would tie people up and and kill them and put them in these bogs and the peat would preserve them like perfectly. It's a whole, it's a whole other thing. Google it. It's amazing. Um, but that, that adds like this really creepy layer to the story. I do want to give content warnings for mental illness, suicide, child harm, and death of a child, chemical use and abuse, illness and loss of a parent, violence, and death. If you want a great wintry read that will have you leaving the lights on, pick up The Black House by Carol Johnstone. I can't believe you didn't lead with bog people. <laughs> oh, I know. I was saving it for the end. Mostly because yeah. I, w I forgot to write down what age they were from. And I was like, Iron Age? Bronze Age? I don't know. I'm from the tinfoil age. Or I guess <laughs> yeah, I guess true. since this is set in the UK, we call it the aluminium age. <laughs> I don't know. 
Okay, my next pick is a thriller. It's The Villa by Rachel Hawkins. I don't read a lot of mystery or thrillers, but I really enjoyed this. It's kind of a gothic suspense story set at an Italian villa across two time periods, the present and the 1970s. Emily is an author of Cozy Mysteries, and she is behind on her latest deadline. She's on book number 10 or so in the series, but she can't seem to get herself to write. And it doesn't help that the love interest is inspired by her now ex-husband, and they are having a pretty bad divorce process. So she really doesn't want to spend any more time with the fictional version of him. So when her best friend proposes that they spend weeks at an Italian villa together, she goes for it. Her best friend, Chess, is a successful, wealthy self-help author, think girl wash your face, with a devoted following. They've been friends since they were kids, but they drifted apart when Chess got famous. She's always been a bit of a flake, and now Emily can't help but resent her some for her success, but they also love each other, and this is an amazing opportunity for a little writing retreat in a gorgeous location and for them to reconnect. So Emily says yes, and they find themselves rekindling their friendship between writing sessions and lounging by the pool. Meanwhile, we're also getting point of view chapters from Mari. And I had to keep reminding myself that these chapters were set in the 1970s, not the 1800s, which makes sense because this storyline is partly inspired by the summer that Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, and Lord Byron spent together at a castle. And it also takes inspiration from the Manson murders and Fleetwood Mac. Mari is 19, but she feels like she's lived a much longer life than that. A few years ago, she ran off to be with a married musician, Pierce. She's a writer, but they're both a little stuck in their creation process. So when rock star Noel Gordon invites them to his Italian villa for the summer, they jump at the opportunity. Mari imagines this as an artist's retreat where they'll all be creating together, but it's not just the three of them. Mari's stepsister, Lara, convinces her to come along, and there's another man there named Johnny, who Noel says is his entertainment director, and it turns out that means drug dealer, and Mari is disappointed that this is less of a creative endeavor and more of a never-ending party. She doesn't have a lot of space or quiet to write, and she is still stalled out. She can't seem to crack what the story she's writing is really about and what will happen next. And then in the present, Emily is investigating the infamous murder that happened in the same villa back in the 1970s, and she knows that Mari went on to become a best-selling horror novelist. Especially at the beginning, this definitely has gothic vibes, despite being set in a sunny Italian vacation destination. We know that something terrible happened in that house in the 70s, and there's a real sense of foreboding. It also feels like echoes of what happened there are also playing out in the present between these two friends. I listened to this as an audiobook, and I highly recommend it. There are two main narrators, and then there are also a few other pieces of media, including some newspaper articles about the murder and a snippet of an obnoxious true crime podcast, which was fun. 
My favorite thing in books is complicated, layered relationships, especially non-romantic ones. And this book really delivers on that. Chess and Emily have such an interesting dynamic. They love each other, but they also carry a lot of resentment towards the other. Emily is suspicious and judgmental of Chess, but she's also devoted to her. They would do anything for each other, but they also have the capacity to hurt each other and betray each other the most of anyone. This story is also exploring misogyny and how women are pitted against each other. Mari and Lara are brought to this villa as muses for the serious male artists, and they're not recognized as artists in their own right. They're basically decoration, and they've been used as teenagers. And then in the present, Emily is being used by her ex-husband. Just like Emily and Chess, Mari and Lara have a tangled, thorny relationship with each other, and they're being pitted against each other by the men in their lives. This is also a story about art and creating and having someone try to take that away from you, the vitality of creating and the cruelty of having that denied. From a structural perspective, it was really interesting following Emily as she tries to figure out the mystery of what really happened in that villa in the 70s, just as we're discovering those things at the same time. And like I mentioned before, I loved the relationships. They're caught in this tangled web of relationships with people that they love, but are also trapped by. And I thought the ending was really interesting. I think this would be a great book club read because I think it would be really fun to discuss with others. I do want to give a content warning for violence, death, and also child death in particular. And that is The Villa by Rachel Hawkins. I could see where you could get the decades or the time settings confused because, you know, Mary Shelley was famous for two things, Frankenstein and bell bottoms. So <laughs> you know. it's a lot of overlap. Yeah. You know, when she was dating John Travolta, I was pulling for those crazy kids, but they just couldn't make Please it work. <laughs> write that manuscript. <laughs> All right. So those are books that we have read and loved. Now we're going to talk about a few more books out today that we might not have had a chance to get to, but we are excited about. I'm going to kick it off with a debut called Night Wherever We Go by Tracy Rose Payton. This book sounds gutting. I mean, just reading you the description of this book. Well, not reading it to you, but telling you what I read in the description. It's going to be devastating and horrific. So just hold on to your heart. Um, It's set on a Texas plantation. And it's about six enslaved women who meet in the woods at the beginning of the book to try and change their fates. They have found out that the owners of the plantation have decided to use them to bear children to sell to make money. Like, the the plantation isn't doing very well, so they're trying to come up with ideas for money. And they have hired a man for this purpose, to impregnate them. So one of the enslaved women who has some knowledge about medicinal herbs and um, medicine in general uh, distributes a root amongst them that they are to chew and to keep them from getting pregnant. If they stick together and none of them get pregnant, then maybe the owners, who they call the Lucys, which is short for the Lucifers, will give up on the idea and, and figure out a different way. The story is told from the six perspectives of these women and their separate stories and trials and tribulations. It's going to be a hard read. Like, my heart is already broken, just like reading about this book. Um, But it's getting fantastic reviews, and it also sounds like a really beautiful story of friendship. 
So that is Night Wherever We Go by Tracy, Tracy Rose Payton. And now we are going to hear from another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle. Walk, Ride, Paddle is a captivating memoir of Senator Tim Kaine's physical journey through the Virginia wilderness, but it is also a unique and ultimately optimistic perspective on these pivotal moments in history, offering inspiration, wisdom, and hope. With immediacy and honesty, Kaine pulls back the curtain to reveal his inner thoughts during such monumental times. And Kane's storytelling gift and wise observations offer a fascinating glimpse into the mind of a seasoned politician and outdoor enthusiast. Walk, Ride, Paddle is available everywhere audiobooks are sold on April 9th. It is narrated and written by Tim Kane, Virginia senator and former Democratic vice presidential candidate. It's a compelling account of one man's journey across hundreds of miles of Virginia wilderness and a moving testament to the optimistic spirit of America. So make sure to check out Walk, Ride, Paddle by Tim Kane. And thanks again to Harper Horizon, publisher of Walk, Ride, Paddle, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Underlined. Haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet? We dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. All right, Danica, what do you have for us? Yeah, one of the books that I'm really interested in is called The Stranded by Sarah Daniels. I am someone who can't resist a book about an enclosed space, and it doesn't matter the genre. A snowed-in love story, amazing. A snowed-in slasher horror novel, outstanding. I want trapped in an elevator, stranded on an island, exploring a cave system, they're all great. I think because I care about relationships between characters so much, the enclosed space forces them to interact and all the secrets come out and I can't get enough of it, which is why this YA dystopian novel immediately piqued my interest. It is set after a pandemic and a war left the world in pieces. And the two main characters live on Arcadia, which is a cruise ship turned refugee camp. And it's been turned away from every port it's approached for 40 years. This story was inspired by the cruise ships that were quarantined at the beginning of COVID-19. But I immediately thought of many other refugee ships in history that have been turned away after long voyages, including Canada, which is where I live, that turned away ships of Jewish refugees during World War II. So there is definitely historical precedent, but this kind of imagines it in a different way. It follows two main characters, Esther and Ben. Esther is determined to work hard to become a medic and escape the Arcadia, be able to actually 
get onto the continent in the legal way. This is a very rare and difficult process, but it is something that sometimes happens. And Ben, on the other hand, wants a revolution. Life on the Arcadia is difficult and wildly unjust, and Ben has a plan to tear it all down. And then Esther finds herself being pulled into the rebellion, and they'll have to find a way to survive as everything falls apart again. This is being pitched as The Hunger Games meets Station Eleven. It's the first in a duology, and it's told from the point of view of several different characters, including the villain. This looks like a really interesting take on a dystopia that draws from news in the last few years, and that is The Stranded by Sarah Daniels. I really want to read that one, too. Yeah. Um, That one is a YA novel Mm -hmm. on a cruise ship and i think i've mentioned this on the show before maybe on backlist but i just want to mention again that um this year i think or beginning of this year i read the stowaway by james s murray and darren wearmouth which is a serial killer locked cruise ship mystery which was just it's kind of ridiculous but i really (laughs) thought it was fun so if you want like a really gross locked cruise ship mystery i would pick that one up too nice Um, Back to more books out today. My next pick is The Bandit Queens by Parini Shroff. Um, Alexander Chi recommended I read this. So I am going to buy it as soon as I can, as soon as it comes out. Um, it sounds a little thinly Donovan-ish in that there are some misunderstandings around murder. It's set in a small village in India. And the main character is Gita. And five years ago, Gita's terrible, awful, no good, very bad husband walked out the door of their home and didn't come back. Now, Gita has no idea where he went, what happened to him. But the the rumor starts in town, in the village, that Gita killed him and put his body somewhere. And it becomes the general consensus as time goes by. Like, everyone's just like, oh, that's Gita. She killed her husband. Um, but there are some perks to being thought to be a murderess. Um, no one messes with her anymore. Uh, no, like, everyone buys jewelry uh, from her from her stall. You know, like, it's been great for sales. And no one wants to marry her, which is like, yay, leave me alone. So Gita's pretty happy. But then some of the other women in the village approach her because they also want to get rid of their husbands and they think that Gita is an expert and they can help she can help them do that. Um, so, And some of these women are not asking nicely for her help. So she's going to get drawn into plans that are possibly going to blow up in all their faces. Um, it's supposed to be really funny. It's supposed to be really smart. It has a fantastic cover. I'm really looking forward to it. It's called The Bandit Queens by Perini Shroff. All right. And my last book I'm going to talk about is Unseely by Ibliss Hausman. You know those graphics that authors make of their books with the arrows pointing at them? There was like a whole online bookish drama about whether those are cringy or not. And then every author that I've ever heard of made more in response to that, which I love. I'm definitely team graphic. I think it's an eye-catching way to sell the vibes of your story. And I'm a reader who really reads more from vibes than plot. So I want to know the tropes, the emotional impact of a book. 
more than its plot, especially when it comes to fantasy, because I try to read the descriptions of books that are fantasy novels, and my eyes glaze over when there are too many new words, (laughs) too many politics descriptions when I know nothing about this book. Which is all to say that I saw the graphic for this one and I was sold because D&D style shenanigans say no more. But also an autistic main character, a fantasy road trip and found family. Yes, please. So those were (laughs) some of the things that were on that graphic advertising book and it definitely worked for me. But don't worry for the plot people. I will describe the book too. This follows two sisters, Isolde and Icelia, aka Celie. Celie is autistic and a changeling, a shapeshifter, and she feels judged by the people in her community like she can't fit in, unlike her human sister. So they decide they're going to leave town until they can earn enough money to move their family somewhere more accepting. Isolde is a professional rogue looking for a long-lost treasure, whereas Celie is looking for her fae origins and trying to find where she belongs between these two worlds. She's also discovering her own magic and how to wield it. She'll have to find her power soon because the twins stumble on a mystery that puts them in danger, but might also result in a huge payout. I've become obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons over the past few years, despite not having a group of my own. So this was a big draw for me. But I'm also interested in a fantasy book with an autistic main character written by an autistic author. This is the first book in a duology, and it looks like such a fun read. And that is Unseelie by Ivelis Hausman. Okay, so those are our recommendations for today's books and books we want to read. And now I'm going to tell you about a few paperback releases that are coming out today. Starting with I Came All This Way to Meet You, Writing Myself Home by Jamie Attenberg. I love Jamie Attenberg. She's written many novels, including All This Could Be Yours, St. Maisie, The Middlebergs. This is her first work of published nonfiction. It's a memoir and also a lot about her writing process. It's fantastic. There's Fiona and Jane by Jean Chen Ho. This is an excellent debut of interconnected stories about two young Taiwanese-American friends who traces their lives over decades. The Boy with a Bird in His Chest by M. Lund. This debut is a book riot favorite. It was longlisted for the Center for Fiction 2022 First Novel Prize. It's about a young man named Owen who was born with, yes, a bird in his chest, like an actual bird that lives in a hole in his chest and communicates with him. And his mother tries to keep him hidden away from the world to keep him safe from harm and people who would want to study him or just generally do him harm. Probably Ruby by Lisa Bird Wilson. This is about an indigenous woman adopted by white parents who goes on a journey in search of her heritage. Tales from the Hinterland by Melissa Albert. This is a collection of 12 stories set in the same world as Albert's popular YA Hazelwood series. Star Child, a biographical constellation of Octavia Estelle Butler by Ibby Zaboy. This is a YA biography of the author of Kindred and so much more, written by an NBA-nominated author and former rioter. And a couple of paperback originals today. There's The Social Climber by Amanda Pellegrino. This is about the plans of a young woman who is about to marry into a prestigious family and see all of her social climbing dreams come true 
when her intentions are called into question when secrets from her past resurface. And Loathe to Love You by Allie Hazelwood. This is a part of Hazelwood's Steminist Romance series, which includes The Love Hypothesis and Love on the Brain. This is a set of novellas, and we'll tide you over until the next novel comes out in June. It's called Love Theoretically, and is about physicists and fake dating shenanigans. And, Danica, what are you going to read next? Oh, I wanted to say that uh, if you're listening and want even more paperback releases, Liberty has a post going up very soon with like 40 (gasps) paperback new releases coming out. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that'll go up on the site a couple days after this podcast goes out. So stay tuned for that. So many paperbacks. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for the plug. I had already forgotten. (laughs) Yeah, you wrote it. You write it so far in advance, but I just edited it. So it's fresh in my mind. Oh, thank you. But anyway, I am going to read... I still have a stack of holiday romances, queer holiday romances that I meant to read all month, but I've had a bunch of reading projects and things and haven't gotten around to it. So I'm trying to just get through all of them in like three days. So The Holiday Trap by Rowan Parrish is definitely one of them, which is supposed to be like a gay and lesbian take on The Holiday, the movie which I love. It's my favorite. So I am looking forward to that one. And what are you going to read, Liberty? Um, well, because we're actually recording this way before it's going to come out, um, my Christmas Day plans are to read all of Phoebe and her unicorn. Um, mm, nice. Because the 17th book is coming out in April. 17. Wow. Yeah. That's just wild to me. I love them all so much. Um, But I also hope to read I Keep My Exoskeletons to Myself, which is just my favorite title of this year already, and is being called Department of Speculation Meets Black Mirror. Yes, please. And I also am considering reading Glitterland by Alexis Hall. I got... This is like a reissue, I think. And they sent it to me in the mail and Alexis Hall is so prolific that I'm, like, backed up on Alexis Hall titles now. But they sent it to me in the mail with a plastic ball filled with glitter water. And <laughs> I can't stop playing with it. And I'm just like, this is how to get me to do something. You know? <laughs> They're like, why is Liberty only talking about that one book this year? It's like, oh, we sent her a Nerf gun. Like, I'm just, like, easily entertained, <laughs> you know? It's just like, ooh. So there's this, like, really cool ball that you'll probably see in all of my pictures on Instagram now because, yay, sparkly stuff. And that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Danica, do you still hang out on Twitter? Rarely, but sometimes. <laughs> Where can people find you? Uh, you can really find me at my website, The okay. Lesbrary. That's All right. the best one. That's L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I mostly <laughs> hang out on Instagram, although I haven't taken kind of a break, um, except I, I do post cat pictures in my stories. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. If you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. 
And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. Happy New Year, ATBs. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.